Venezuela, Mama likes Cinderella, Mama likes Cinderella. I don't know yet, but I'm excited. Good, but... The Cleveland Browns select Baker Mayfield. Yes! 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 Yes, I know, I know. <clears throat> yeah, I, 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 don't, I don't know if I called it as much as I suggested it was a possibility, but either way, uh, I, I'm not, I don't plan on taking credit for that. It's, it's, it was, you know, I, 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 I say a lot of things, but either way, um, big, huge, huge news out there, and, and I'm uh, sure, that, well, I mean, let me, let me, let me, let me back up and put the the uh, the order of things in proper position. My name is Easy Weave. This is Easy Does It on Dogs by Nature, and we talk about <clears throat> the Browns. Talk about life. Uh, talk about a lot of things, mostly the Browns. Today, in the life of the Browns, there's a huge development, at least as it is being reported just about everywhere, although not officially officialized into officialdom uh, as of this moment. It has been uh, the the reports are all over the place. SB Nation, CBS Sports, twenty four seven Sports, WKYC three TV, and, and lots of outlets other than the Browns themselves have announced that they have formally hired Freddie Kitchens, the interim offensive coordinator, um, after serving as the running backs coach to start the year. He will be the Browns' new full-time coach heading forward to uh, start the 2019 offseason. Congratulations to Freddie Kitchens, and congratulations to the Cleveland Browns. I think this was a fantastic choice. I'm extraordinarily pleased that uh, that it all worked out this way. And as I as I alluded to at the front, I you know going into I think it was the Kansas City game actually, <clears throat> and just because I had um, I had done a little bit of research on Kitcho, and I got to give some I got I got to uh, throw a little bit of a hat tip to my buddy Fourth over there in Hungary because he was the one that was like, hey man, I found some really cool stuff on Freddie Kitchens. Uh, actually, that's not right. Hey, I found some really cool stuff about Freddie Kitchens, and so I'm like. Hey, that's really cool. And <clears throat> check. And it, there is just a cool story about. There's an NFL thing, an NFL films thing from when he was in Arizona like years ago. And Carson Palmer talks about how he comes over on uh, Christmas Day, his only only day off in a month to play Santa Claus for his kids. And I thought the funniest part about that was him talking about how you know you got the Southern guy trying to play Santa and it doesn't really work out the best. But but I mean, just that's the type of guy he was and is. And um, <clears throat> I'm very excited about this. I, I'm uh, I'm I'm a fan of Freddie Kitchens. I, I but admittedly though I've I kind of cooled on the thought of elevating him for a couple of reasons as the season wore on, and I've really only kind of just recently uh, kind of built back up to to really liking this idea. And, it, and this is kind of my my whole progression of thoughts. You know, him coming in, I think that um, you know good. We I mentioned this before that the. The standards that I have for looking for a head coach are are not dissimilar from what John Dorsey has, or at least what he's intimated, which is person of high character, high football acumen, good teacher of young men. Well, I mean, look, by pretty reasonable standards out there, Freddie Kitchens hits all of those. Now, I have three additional. You know, it's like to me, those standards are what gets you the interview. That's what gets your foot in the door. Uh, that's the prerequisite. That's what you have to have. 
on your resume in order to even get you know a chance to get to the next level. And to me, the next level are in order, and as well as you can do these things are you know the, the how I would value you as a head coach. Now, as we go through this, I mean, I'm really going to try to focus on what I think the roles of all of these positions are, and and why specifically. I think that Freddie Kitchens uh, can be a good coach. Those three things are my three things. My three standards are you have to be able to game plan for an opponent. You need to be able to scheme appropriately to be able to uh, take advantage of uh, your strengths versus their weaknesses or be able to attack their strengths and mask your own weaknesses and so on. To be able to maximize your ability to either score points if you're on offense or prevent points on defense, just basically what it takes to go out there and game plan against an opponent. If you're good at that, that's a very important thing. Actually, that's not the number one thing. I mentioned it first, but the number one thing to me is a guy that is committed to, enthusiastic about, and capable in prosecuting the concept of harmony. That's the Michael Urban term, or unity, or togetherness, or accord, or being all on the, the same page-ness. It's, uh, it's, it's a very important thing to me, that the, and I think that it's important in the life of our organization, that especially after the Hugh Jackson experience, but even before him, I mean, it's, this has been a problem for us for a long time. And the fact that John Dorsey is the one that has now hired the head coach after... He has, you know, uh, picked the starting quarterback, this, the franchise quarterback. You know, this is, it really does kind of put into proper structure for the first time that I've been watching this team that I really feel comfortable about, kind of the hierarchy of decision-making and execution within this franchise. Jimmy Haslam, Wife D., you know, to their credit, it looks like they kind of. Uh, well, actually, I, don't, I have no idea what the level of their involvement was in all of this. Maybe they're the ones that determined it was going to be kitchens, and you know that might cause me to re-examine whether or not I like the move. I'm only partially kidding there. I think that uh, John Dorsey is the guy that ultimately drives the bus now, and you know he's driving the bus, so he's going to get the right players that he thinks fits for the organization, and there's no reason for Freddie Kitchens to look at that, especially now having you know been a part of the organization and uh, you know have insist on having quote unquote his own guys. This is a conversation we've talked about at length for years about the you know new coach comes in, wipes out the existing crew. Well, you know, not really. Uh, this was about the only way that this could happen this way, and and I don't know. Right at this moment, there is no word about who he's going to be bringing on with him in terms of offensive coordinator, defensive coordinator. It could be that that's why there is no official announcement at this juncture. Uh, I don't know. I um, but but I, again, and and I I haven't lost my train of thought. This is always the, the concern. I am definitely giddy today. I'm definitely happy. So I may be even more prone to uh, chasing down metaphorical rabbit trails of my own devising. But I. Consider that the the you know a guy that will come in and say that what's good, best for the organization is the only thing that matters to me, and that everybody that is here right now in the building, from Jimmy Haslam to John Dorsey to Baker Mayfield to you know uh, Charlie Hewlett to uh, the guy that is sweeping the halls to the hot dog vendor to the guy selling the programs out at the stadium to who everybody is on the same page. Whatever the decisions we make, whether they are good or bad we are all on board with them if they are good we are going to celebrate together if they are bad we will together look at each other and say okay we screwed that up let's move on to the next thing 
this may seem like a simple thing or may may seem like it's a, a you know like it just happens but it hasn't been a thing it's been a problem for us this kind of lack of uh and people use the word continuity but it, there's just been chaos now Hugh Jackson was probably the you know the 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 most you know, hottest burning fire of all of them when it came to that sort of thing but he wasn't the only one. There's been discord and disunity within the organization with a lot of, you know, with, with vir- virtually every combination we've tried to uh, force together over the last, well, however many years you want to go back and evaluate all of this. So a guy that can come in, that can be, you know, the driver of that, you know, that togetherness of vision. Uh, to me, that is when you start getting into the traits of the head coach, that's the most important thing. The second most important thing is what I mentioned earlier, the ability to scheme effectively against an opponent from week to week. Now, I'm not unreasonable. Or I, well, maybe – at least I don't think I am about this. <laughs> I don't want to be too broad about everything. But I, uh, I, I don't consider – you know, every you don't need to go out there and out scheme your opponent every week. There are going to be instances. Oh, certainly, you should try to. I'm not. What I'm saying is that it's a very, very highly competitive league. You know, Bill Belichick is right up there with Paul Brown and Don Shula as the best coach of all time, and he got out schemed and beaten on a night where Doug Peterson, Frank Reich, and John DeFilippo were just on their game like like very few have ever been, probably. Uh, so it happens. And so that leads to the third most important thing, and that's resiliency. That is the ability to adjust once the scheme has gone wrong and the other team has got your number. They figured something out about you in the the tape, in leading up to the game. They have come out. They have found out something about the way that you do things, and they were able to exploit it, and you got 15 minutes at halftime to do something the hell about it. And that is – I mean, that's that's, – that's as important, although you hope that you don't have to utilize that one as much as the first one, which is effectively being able to scheme an opponent. So, you know, um, if you do it right, then you scheme an opponent well, and then they don't come back on you, uh, as we didn't really have happen to us this year. Once we got up on people, we pretty well stayed up on them, and that's uh, that definitely not something we've been able to say in the past. So that's kind of six boxes, right? You have Dorsey's three, and you have my three. And I think that you can say that Freddie Kitchen's you know, pretty much checks all those boxes. You know, I don't know that if, if like, for example, when uh, he was being asked throughout the course of the year, uh, when we were having success, and you know, success for us doesn't just happen. I don't have to remind you, we have had some hard times very recently, and in that moment when you start experiencing real success, you know, it's kind of easy to say, uh, you know, to, to to say, well, you know, I'm I'm kind of the guy here. And maybe he did behind the scenes, but publicly his attitude was, you know, I'm not trying to interview for a job I don't have. You know, when they would ask him about this. In other words, I'm doing my job, and I'm going to continue to do my job and do it well. And I think that that's a that, that speaks towards that that uh, quality that I'm referring to, that togetherness of of purpose and unity and harmony and all that. So, you know, I I think that, and I, by the way, I also think that Greg Williams possessed all of these characteristics, and I also think that Bruce Arians um, contained all of these characteristics. Arians, of course, yesterday, as of this recording, named the head coach of the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who are you know, who play just you know down the road from me here. 
And I, I have a, a not insignificant amount of love for that organization, although it's nothing compared to you know what it is for the Roaring Helmets. But they they did about as well for themselves as they possibly could have. You know, if, if you if you happen to be a a, a a butt guy that just for whatever reason fell into this, y- y'all did good. And there's a, the future looks bright um, right now for for that organization. But the future looks brighter for us uh, with with uh, again. Kitchens has those six things, I think, you know, in my evaluation after watching him uh, through the second half of the year. And again, I also think that Greg Williams had it. And I don't know what the reason why that they ultimately decided to go with with, uh, Kitcho over Greg Williams. Um, But... I, it's and, and we can speculate it may have had something to do with them just seeing that Kicho long term was going to be a hotter commodity. That if they even if they were able to keep him around as head coach or as a offensive coordinator, that somebody might have been able to come along and snatch him up as a head coaching prospect a year or two from now, as happens when guys are good as coordinators. And so. And, and there were people that had the mindset of, well, maybe you bring Arians along or you put Greg in charge, and eventually you bring Kicho along as the head guy whenever he's ready for it. To which the rebuttal has been, well, if you're going to do that, then uh, you might as well just make him the coach right now. I think that uh, certainly I understand everything that everybody is saying there. I kind of agree mostly with the last thing that was said, which is, yeah, if you're going to if if this guy is your top priority, then just make him the head coach. Because you can't, you cannot, you can not hire a head coach and say you have to take on Freddie Kitchens as your offensive coordinator. You can't do it. There's a variety of reasons why. That guy's always going to have Kitcho looking over his shoulder. He's always going to have it's it's just not it's it's not it's, and plus it's his it's his team. You know, you hire the head coach. One of the things about hiring the head coach is it's his team. So if you're going to say you have to hire a uh, an offensive coordinator or you have to use our offensive coordinator, it limits the pool of eventual of available candidates and it's and it and it fosters a unhealthy beginning to the relationship that you have with that head coach within your organization. Now if the head coach likes Kitcho and wants him to be the OC, that's a whole different deal. But my whole contention from the outset of all of this is that that was going to be a very 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 rare uh, sequence of circumstances that, and, and it was basically, you know, all contained within the three guys that I've already mentioned here. Like the only way that Kitcho could have stayed on here as the head coach or as the offensive coordinator is if Greg Williams was either retained and given the permanent job, uh, or. Uh, Bruce Arians. And the only reason I suspected about Greg is because they worked so well together the second half of the year. I don't know. Greg may have decided that uh, he would want to go to somebody else. I'm just saying it's the only, it's the one that's most possible, most likely. And Arians said point blank that he would keep Kitchens. I will tell you this. They are, there are, to the extent that there are Bucks fans, the few of them that I've come in contact with, were really hoping that we would not you know, uh, retain Kitchens somehow, so that way they could bring him down here as the offensive coordinator for uh, Arians. That's uh, that's not going to happen now, obviously. But uh, Kitchens is a guy that a lot of people were looking at, and and maybe that's the reason why they ultimately decided to go in this direction. Again, I don't know, uh, and I'm not going to venture to um, to guess here what the what the reasoning may be. But I will say uh, that the the man has displayed traits that I think are going to be very well suited for his new position. And I think that it's important, and it's my, you know, it's my opinion, but I think that it's important that we as fans um, kind of have the right 
you know understanding uh, appreciation for uh, and ex- you know expectations of what his what his new job is going to be. You know he's not the offensive coordinator anymore. He's the head coach. And I'm going to step away when I come back. I'm going to get into that. What, what you know? Why that's such a key distinction? Because it's not you know we're we're not running forward now with uh, Freddie Kitchens as the offensive coordinator coaching the team. It's it's a different dynamic, and it's the one that I was concerned about with uh, vis-a-vis the Dirk Cutter paradigm down here with Jameis Winston and then how that whole whole thing unfolded. But again, I've I've gone I've come full circle on this, and really over the last couple of days I've I've revised my thinking on this. So when we return, get into that. My name is Easy Weave. This is Easy Does It on Dogs by Nature. Be right back. Oh yeah! Congratulations to the Clemson Tigers. Holy Moses! What was that? That was, I couldn't believe. Color me for being all kinds of wrong. I think the last time we, I, I talked to y'all, I, I did uh, mention that I thought there was absolutely no chance. I thought that uh, Alabama would beat Clemson by more than what they beat Oklahoma by, that Oklahoma actually get. I thought it was going to be worse. I was wrong. Hats off to Clemson. Hats off to Dabo. You guys put on a show like I never expected to ever see. Uh, and I will say this. I feel bad for whoever's the first on Alabama's schedule next year because <laughs> those guys are going to be mad after uh, after what just happened to them. Wow. 44-16. to 16. Today is a big day for us Cleveland Browns aficionados as the announcement I assume will be forthcoming unless we're all getting trolled here which would be really this would actually be a really really fun show to go back and look at in retrospect if that's what actually happens but uh again right now the uh, every everything in the world is uh pointing to the uh um the guys that <clears throat> that we've been kind of, well, the the guy that we've been hoping for, that a lot of people have been hoping for, Freddie Kitchens, taking over as the Browns' next full-time head coach. And before I uh, went away there a moment ago, I was talking about how it's going to be a lot different now. I think that people assume that when a coordinator takes over as a head coach, and and I think this is true to some extent in some select circumstances, that that guy is, for all intents and purposes, going to be the offensive coordinator or the defensive coordinator as well, and also that they will have the same level of involvement and be as effective in those roles while being the head coach as they were when they were in the role as the offensive or defensive coordinator. It's like Greg Williams earlier this year talking about you coach defense, you're not the coach. And then he ultimately and then he ended up becoming the coach and did pretty pretty well. You know, Greg Williams is nothing to be uh, ashamed about for his performance there the final part of the year. But evidently, the powers that be and uh, that would be John Dorsey, the Haslams and who and probably John or uh, Paul De Podesta who I who once again remains silently behind the scenes here, but probably had a lot to do with this. Uh, they they uh, made the decision to go along with with uh, Freddie Kitchens as the head coach, and so as the head coach, you have a totally different role. You're the CEO of the team. You are more of an administrator. You are definitely you know you're you're overseeing everything, and your focus has to be broad for you know for for things. It's it's like the difference between being a you know a a uh, you know a, a laborer, a worker versus being a manager. 
there's some people that are excellent at making widgets, but they're not really good when it comes to managing people if you put them in charge of managing the widget factory. It's just everybody's different. I've done both things. Um, I think I was probably better as the widget maker, uh, but I've learned how to be effective as a widget manager. And it's some people are naturally good at, at some things and bad at others. So it's the kind of the same thing here. The offensive coordinator has a role that is very you know uniquely tuned to that one aspect of his, of the function of the football team, and he doesn't focus on anything else. Head coach can't be that way. Head coach really does have to be involved in every aspect of his team, and we are we are all we are we are all only one person so freddie can only do what freddie can only do and that will involve him necessarily having to take a lot of his focused attentive attention off of running the offense not to say that he may not still continue to officially hold that role but if that happens Either he's just phenomenally gifted in terms of organization and time management and just is able to do all of that, or, and this is more likely, he's going to have some assistant coaching help either uh, you know, from the OC side of things or from the HC side of things. Which is to say there would be a, some kind of a, you know assistant head coach type person that would be there with him. And presumably that would be the defensive coordinator. You know, now with Greg, uh, which I don't know if I mentioned that already, but Greg Williams, it's reported that he has been summarily dispatched. He is no longer with the team. And like I say, I wish him uh, well as far as, uh, you know, whatever it is. That he. I think, the, I, I think he earned a shot to go coach somebody. I, I mean, I, I, you watch the way that that team performed. Uh, and a lot of the things that John Dorsey said about him in his press conference, I was I was thinking even coming into today that the, well, you see the last couple over the last I don't know twenty four hours or so, and I don't know if it's just the, the 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 reporting of the media or whatever, but I just got the feeling that it was kind of moving in that direction that that it was going to be Freddie Kitchens, but I also thought it could be Greg Williams just because nobody was talking about Williams and the history of this of uh, of uh, um, Meathead seems to be that whoever he's not talking about that's the guy. But Baker uh, was the big surprise during the draft. Kitcho, not as big a surprise given all the reporting that's come out over the last 24 hours about this. But uh, going five and three over the final, uh, you know, eight games of the season, seeing that team, you know, really turn it around all the way around with Kitchens taking over now, and he was kind of in a, a you know, a, a offensive coordinator, assistant head coaching type role there. So with him, maybe maybe there was more to that. You know, maybe Greg was the figurehead, but Kitchen was really a lot of the guy doing the heavy lifting, you know, in the coaching capacity. I don't know. I don't, you know, I don't know uh, what what the the uh, functions of everybody involved were, but you know, Kitchens is the guy now, and either he's going to have to get an offensive coordinator, which I think he probably will, or he's going to have to get somebody that can kind of help him with the overseeing of the team. And that's why I say, like, if we expect that, it's kind of like you know what's going on out in uh, San Francisco with uh, Kai Shanahan, pretty good offensive coordinator. I, I am not as enamored with him as a lot of people. You know, I think when you have a 25-point lead in the Super Bowl and you run four times, uh, and you end up losing, yeah, okay, you just you that that that's the guy. You look at your offensive coordinator first, as far as the reason why you lost. But you know, whatever. The, not that any of that matters. Although speaking of uh, the Falcons, they took back Dirk Cutter, and I mentioned Dirk Cutter earlier. He was the that was the reason why I was apprehensive about Freddie Kitchens. It was that it was the same thing. Freddie uh, Dirk Cutter 
went from Atlanta. He was their offensive coordinator. He became the offensive coordinator for Lovey Smith in Tampa Bay. Then after Jameis Winston's rookie year, pretty much everything that people were saying about Freddie Kitchens and Baker Mayfield as far as their relationship, you could the same things were being said and intimated about uh, Dirk Cutter and Jameis Winston. And we couldn't break the you know their, their, the Buccaneers' mindset was we couldn't break up those two guys. We had to keep it together, even if it meant 86ing Lovey Smith, who had done a pretty good turnaround from his first year to his second year. Well, that what that led to, and why do we have to do that? Well, because he's developing Jameis, and nothing is more important than developing Jameis. So then Dirk takes over. And you know what he ends up what ends up happening is that he doesn't have the time to be able to spend on the development of Jameis Winston as much as he did in his role as the offensive coordinator when he is the head coach. And so Winston didn't get that sort of one-on-one development that he was getting from Cutter in that first year. And after four years of this, Winston is not any more developed than well, he's more developed certainly, but he's not to the point that you know he that people expected him to be at this point in time. And Cutter was not a good coach. So what did you really gain there? Now they're in a spot where you know they're going to end up being okay. But I, I looked at this. This is what I mean. Like I went through the whole season in this. You know, I, I came full circle. I started off with man, I really like this guy Kitcho. In fact, it wouldn't surprise me if he ends up becoming the the head coach. Like I, I'm serious. I was saying that like the Kansas City game. But then I, I then after this whole thing um, advanced, I was looking at the situation down here in Tampa Bay. I'm like, you know, but it, it, that is kind of similar to what we have going on here. Maybe, maybe. You know, we ought to pump the brakes on this whole Freddie Kitchens talk because, you know, do we want to, you know, elevate a guy to head coach because we really like him as an offensive coordinator? And I think that there's a lot of people for whom that's, that is the case, you know, today. And that's fine, but uh, but therein lies the rub. If he's not a good head coach, then it doesn't really matter how good of an offensive coordinator he is. And that's kind of a mistake. But I mean, there again, you, you know, a lot of head, a lot of successful head coaches come from the ranks of the coordinator circuit. So just because a guy wasn't successful or effective as a coordinator when he turned into a head coach doesn't mean that he can't, because a lot of them do. Uh, you know, it's it's like the whole quarterback conversation. Everybody that's good is rare, and every team only has one. You know, and it's, you know, however you get there, you get there. The reason why I am excited about Freddie Kitchens is, I think, in addition to showing some pretty innovative and impressive skills as the offensive coordinator, I happen to think that along the way, he also displayed a lot of the elements that are crucial to being an, an effective and successful head coach. Consider the doldrums that the team was in after, you know, Baker comes in, uh, you know, after the Jets game, we lose the the, uh, the Raiders game. He plays well, although we don't put up a whole bunch of points in the, in the Ravens game, and we win. Then we go through, what was it, four straight games, three or four straight games. You know the Chargers, the uh, the Bucks, and the Steelers, and, and and you know those games were ugly. The Bucks game wasn't as bad, although it's it was it, it was it was ugly from the standpoint it was a sloppy and one that we absolutely should have won. Chargers, you know, kicked our heads in, as did the Steelers. It seems like I'm missing a game in there, but I can't. You know, it, it's not coming to me right now. But all those games, all those performances, the offense was just it just looked it just looked god awful. Then Hugh got fired. Haley got fired. Greg is named the interim, and Kitchens is named the offensive coordinator. And nobody knows anything about this guy, Kitchens. 
in his first week as the offensive coordinator, the entire offensive team was, I mean, drastically improved. I mean, the pass blocking was improved. The hands of the wide receivers were improved. The routes they were running was improved. Baker's ability to navigate the pocket was improved. Baker's ability to... Everything was improved on the offensive side of the ball in one week. And then throughout the course of the season, we saw that that wasn't a fluke thing that pretty much every week that offense came to play. Now, a lot of that has to do with the fact that Baker Mayfield is a stud. But Baker Mayfield being a stud didn't really help us a whole lot when we were playing those three games against San Diego, Tampa Bay, and Pittsburgh. And yeah, certainly Baker made a lot of development as the season went along, but you don't just flip a switch like that. You know, and that's... And, and so... Yes, while a lot of that has to do with scheme, you know, um, uh, I think Betonio was the one that was saying it was a combination of things. You know, the line started to gel a little bit more. You know, Robinson came in there and he kind of uh, really improved the performance of the left tackle position for Desmond Harrison. Uh, Hubbard, you know, uh, did better. The tight ends got better at what they were doing. The, the play calling got better. Like everything just got better all at the same time. Okay, how does everything all get better at the same time? It's because usually you've got a guy that's driving that. And I think thought that Greg Williams was really the guy that should have got a lot of credit for that. But yeah, I mean, but we know that Greg had nothing to do with the offensive side of the ball. So that was all Kitcho. And so all of that to say that if you're concerned that, you know, he's not going to be able to and I'm not by the way, that he's not going to be able to be, you know, all right, let me let me right, let me back up. If you are concerned that we hired him to be the head coach because we really liked him as offensive coordinator, and thus there could be a mismatch there. I would say, or at least I would contend that I'm not worried about it because I think that that just that what I just said right there, that he was able to take that entire offensive unit that was playing like garbage and th- turn it around that quickly and sustainably. Tur- I mean, they were good for the entire rest of the season. Was it really? I mean, yeah, the Houston game they kind of stunk it up a little bit, and Denver they didn't take advantage of all of their opportunities. Baker was just flat. You know, um, he was just flat that game. That's a good way to describe it. He was just flat against Denver for most of that game. Still made enough plays to win it. And uh, and then, you know, showed a lot of marked improvement. There's no doubt. There is absolutely no... There's no doubt about two things. Mayfield showed a ton of improvement, and pretty drastically and immediately under Freddie Kitchens. The other thing that there's absolutely no doubt about is that Baker absolutely adores Freddie Kitchens. Like, the two of them have got a fantastic relationship. And I talked about it a couple of weeks ago. I think that it's that whole... It's this, it's this concept that I... That I um, well, I guess I've seen it firsthand, but it's, you know, it's the connection. And Baker's from Texas, Kicho is from Alabama, so think about it as connection. They just, it's a, it's a southern type thing. They just have a, they just have a connection. And, and there's, like, like Freddie Kitchens reminds me of like a whole bunch of dudes that I know. Just in the way, like when I see the guy, the way that he, he uh, interacts with people and the way that he goes about what he does, I know dudes that are like that. Uh, and I like a lot of guys that are like that. I mean, and from the sense that those are, there are some really, really good dudes smart, capable, very capable guys that have that sort of mindset and attitude. And when, uh, when you know, like that thing, you may have seen it. And if you haven't, there's, a, I think it's uh, um, the guy Zim, the guy on Twitter, I can't think of his name, it's driving me nuts, but it's, it's right on the tip of my brain. But he had a, uh, a, 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 a uh, Twitter uh, posting that showed a little video clip, and the, the caption was, hire Freddie Kitchens right this instant. And it's Kitcho, and he's on the sidelines, and he's like... 
And Baker is in, he's on the bench, and he's like, he's got one of these, he's got like a shawl over his shoulder pad, so it's, his arms aren't really like pinned down, it's just like, they're kind of like in his, in his, you know, hand warmer or whatever, so his, his arms aren't free necessarily, I mean, he could free them if he wanted to, but he's just kind of sitting there, and Kitchens goes up to him, and he starts like, tickle him under his, under his beard, he's like, yeah, get some of that, get some of that, get some of that, he's just, he's just, just, just messing with the guy, you know, during the, uh, like when the when the defense is on the field, and then he walks away after he's screwing with him, and Baker's like, "Man, that guy's an idiot." <laughs> That's the type of stuff. I'm t- there's there is a deep and abiding a love and appreciation that's going on there, and I think that probably had as much to do with this uh, as anything did. As it should be. Baker Mayfield is flat out the future of our organization. And for many of us in the fan base, he's the future of our happiness. But he's the future of the Cleveland Browns. There's no doubt about it. And so getting the guy that can mesh well with him, because uh, this kid's about ready to be an all-pro next year, that was it was crucial. So you, you bring in the guy that you know, no doubt about it, has a good rapport with your starting quarterback. So now here comes the rest of it. We're going to need to get a defensive coordinator. We're going to get an offensive coordinator. going to need to fire Amos Jones and bring in literally anybody else to run the special teams. I'm very much for the concept of of uh, promoting Josh Cribbs to that position. Yes, I recognize that it's mostly driven by the fact that he um, is one of my all-time favorite players. Josh Cribbs is in the top, well, he used to be the top five, but Baker and Miles kind of now had to expand it out to a top seven because I don't want to replace any of those guys, Eric Metcalf, Eric Turner, Clay Matthews, Joe Thomas, and Joshua Cribbs. But Baker and Miles are in such a special place in my heart that I just, you know, they got to be, they got to be there somewhere, somehow. But Joshua Cribbs being a part of this team, I think... That uh, first look at. I, I realize that we should never say this, but in this case, like I made the example last night, unless you know, elevating Joshua Cribs to the special teams job caused, I mean, just a complete disintegration of basic reasoning when it comes to being able to, like, for example, the punter, that the long snapper just, like, misses the punter every time, or the punter winds up and misses the ball every time he tries to kick it. Like, unless it's that, you know, on a field goal attempt, the kicker just kicks the hell out of the holder. You know what I mean? Unless it's that dysfunctional, uh, then we literally could not do worse than we did last year. That was the worst special teams performance I had ever seen squared it was god awful every game it never improved there was a lull there towards you know and late in the year when we were winning games where it wasn't necessarily horrible all the time but yeah amos jones another one of these arizona connections which is just weird that there's so many connections with the, with the arizona but yeah, uh, get rid of him. But they, but as far as and and elevate Joshua Cribs, and I think everybody will be pleased with that. And I think that the special teams will show marked improvement as a result of that. Do all that, and we'll be in uh, in a spot where um, we, we defensive coordinator, offensive coordinator, and there's there's rumors as to who that you know who who those candidates will be. Uh, I don't think at this point this use, one of the things that we always get concerned about whenever you start looking at the coordinator search is is the guy going to be. Uh, scheme friendly with the players that we currently have, you know, because one of the things that's really screwed us over in the past is we will bring in a guy and he wants to run a three-four, and we've got four-three personnel, or vice versa. I don't really think that matters all that much anymore. I mean, I get that there are base sets, but I mean, offenses are running three wide almost like you know waking up every day. So the, what used to be, you know, known as the, the nickel, which was kind of a, uh, you know, special circumstance, like a third down formation. Now it's like, you know, it's an every down uh, uh, type 
in, in other words, the, the base scheme where people line up in the, in the pro set with two backs and a tight end, that's just not, I mean, not every team is different, certainly. But I'm just saying that that base, you know, 3-4 versus 4-3, I'm not saying it's unimportant. I'm saying it's significantly less important than it used to be. Which, all that to say that I don't, I, I wouldn't therefore disqualify anybody that is a quality defensive coordinator candidate simply because they uh, they run or have a history of running a different type scheme. What I will say, I would like for the defensive coordinator to be two things. First, number one, not Ray Horton. And number two, a guy that will emphasize proper tackling. And I am perfectly happy and enthusiastic to sacrifice our... Um, ability to punch the ball out when uh, and, say, go, and go for the strip at every single opportunity if it means that we can actually get the guy to the ground whenever we got guys in position because we got plenty of talent on this defense and there were so many times last year and really over the last well I don't know since Dick Duran left where you know we have players in position. It's not that our guys are being. Eh, certainly, there are times where we get out schemed. That happened a lot this year. But that's not where you know the the largest part of our problems lie. There were a lot of times this year where we had guys in position and they just waft on the tackle. Well, I mean, you got to you can, uh, or I should say, th- that is made up for when you're the reason that you're missing the tackle is because you're pulling the ball out. And in the first part of the year, we were pulling the ball out all the time. But then teams figured out, oh, hey, look. Cleveland, they're pulling the ball out of the time, so cover up the ball. Also, be really aggressive when you're going at them tackling-wise because they're all arm tackling you. And remember we had that uh, the game, who were they playing? It was against, um, I, think it was, I think it was against the Panthers where uh, DJ Moore caught a, a short route over the middle, would have gone for about, you know, 10, 15 yards, and instead it went for like 40, and 10 guys bounced off of him, all going for the ball. So I that would be my preference more so than you know getting a guy that is you know rigidly scheme adherent and again it, it, you know Kitchens isn't going to want to hire a guy that isn't you know of that ilk he's going to want to get a guy that runs a basic you know basic 4-3 kind of concepts but you know guy that's creative and can do some stuff move uh, you know move people around and uh, and confuse packages i you know i think my i, I would have preferred just slightly to continue on have a third year in greg's scheme just to see if the guys would improve but i'm also i'm totally fine with him going i would i was more interested in greg williams sticking around in the head coach than i was about him sticking around as defensive coordinator were he not to get the head coaching gig and and honestly, as others have pointed out, it really wouldn't have been palatable for him to stick around as the defensive coordinator with Freddie Kitchens or anybody else as the head coach because the first sign of trouble is going to be people saying, well, Greg did a lot better. It's, it's, just, it's not worthwhile, and you don't need to put your new head coach who's already going to be, you know, there's going to be high expectations going into this year. You don't need to put him in a spot where he's going to be looking over his shoulder. That's why I was saying, that's one of the reasons why I was saying you can't, you know, force Freddie Kitchens on a guy if he doesn't want him. You got to let the guy pick the guy. And and, and now Kitcho's going to have a chance to uh, pick out his guys. And I'm looking forward to see how all of that flushes out. And I think that Freddie Kitchens is going to be a good coach because I think Freddie Kitchens is a good coach. Not because I was impressed with his performance as the offensive coordinator. I hope that we're able to find somebody who has a symbiotic approach to the offense, as does uh, Kitchens. So that way he can continue with what Kitcho, like the overall overarching philosophy of what we were doing this last year in the final, you know, uh, eight games of the year. 
But, you know, the guy's going to have his own wrinkles. And uh, I love telling BTB this. He's going to have his own playbook. Kitchens will never have had actually had his own playbook. I think it's important to point that out. Kitchens will never have actually had his own playbook now, Terry. That's the way things are going to work out. Also, Tom Emansky. And I think that's all important. But the next you know thing to uh, look for here after we find out, after we get the official announcement, I'm going to be really interested uh, to see if there's anything, at least what's interesting me, what I'm looking for next, is to see if there is anything about... Paul De Podesta and his role, because I'm very just you know we've now flipped over the entire organization since 2016. Remember we fired Farmer, we fired uh, Mike Pettin, all the coaches, all of them gone. We then hired Sashi Brown and we hired Paul De Podesta. We hired Hugh Jackson and Hugh hired all of his his people. Then last year we fired Sashi Brown. We bring in John Dorsey. In the offseason, we fire Hugh Jackson. Now we've gotten rid of uh, Greg Williams, and now we've brought on Freddie Kitchens to be the head coach. In all of this, Paul De Podesta is the only one that remains, and Paul De Podesta is the only one whose role is very nebulously defined. And it's very chief strategy officer, but you never actually hear and. and Honestly, I really wouldn't necessarily want my chief chief strategy officer to be public about what the chief strategy is, because I would rather you know we keep that sort of thing close to the vest. So it's probably a good thing that we don't know uh, anything about him. But that guy, his role and what he does is always curious to me. So again, for me anyway, I'm going to be very curious to find out if anything comes out over the next couple of days about what his role is in all of this and what his role is with the team if uh, if, if for some reason he's not going to be around. And I don't know why I'm correlating those two things together. I heard that there was maybe a power struggle that um, De Podesta wanted the guy from uh, – yeah, he wanted Tom Emansky, the uh, the offensive coordinator. No, I'm talking – the guy uh, uh, Stefanski, the guy up in uh, Minnesota that, that, would, that was brought in for a second interview. Some people thought he was being brought in to be Kitchen's offensive coordinator. Of course, some people think everything. There's every imaginable scenario under the sun that people have uh, have brought out this week about what whoever is doing – and what could happen and all of that doesn't appear to be the case. In fact, what, a lot, what was being rumored today is that Amansky was going to be the head coach. It's Stefanski, I know. I'm, I'm, not, I'm just having fun with it. And that he was going to bring our old friend uh, Brad Childress along with him to be the offensive coordinator. And that caused a lot of consterna- consternation, wailing, gnashing of teeth, and so on. Uh, amongst the the Browns contingent, but that uh, turned out not to be true. And uh, Kitchens takes over as the head coach. And as I say... I think that he's shown that the skills that are requisite for an effective head coach are – they've been on display, and they're, he's going to do fine in that role. I don't think that he's going to end up being like an offensive coordinator that is the head coach. I just don't think that it works that way unless you bring on somebody that is your de facto assistant head coach and probably the defensive coordinator – uh, or you bring on a guy that is your offensive coordinator and you just have heavy input on what that guy is doing. <clears throat> and whether or not he calls plays, I don't care. I mean, all that, that to me, that is kind of immaterial. But whether or not a guy is the offensive coordinator and the head coach, I think that that is an important thing. And this is, this is a big deal. I mean, we had to get this right. And I think we did. Of course, this is you know not even the full day one. This is you know hours after it's happened, and that's my you know. Now, it's not to say. I mean, I'm sure there are some Browns fans that may be thinking, "Who's Freddie Kitchens?" You know, those that don't really pay close attention. Um, for those of us, of course, we've known who he is for a while now. You know, but he is a relatively new guy. Two months ago, none of us knew anything about him really. 
And then, you know, Haley gets fired and, you know, Freddie Kitchens is elevated. That's when a lot of us kind of, okay, what's, what's, what's with this Freddie Kitchens guy? We learn about him. And then over the last couple of months, we, we, you know, we learn more about him. And then the league finds out about him. And now he has uh, been rewarded. And if he is able to, you know, uh, convert all of those things that I talked about, that ability to uh, have harmony, to, you know, really make that a a fundamental aspect of the team and his participation within it, you know, that, that development of unity, harmony, togetherness, accord, all of that, and the ability to effectively game plan and, you know, kind of get the team in that mindset to go out there and win every week. Um, and, you know, Greg did that. That's that's going to be another thing is that, you know, William or uh, Kitchens is going to be compared, at least initially, by uh, the performance of the team in the final eight games of this year. If we start off slow next year, there's no going to be no shortage of people that said, probably should have went with Greg. Probably should have went with Greg. And I don't mind, you know, uh, you know, first questioning that now. I think there's a reasonable question to ask. Why do this instead of Greg? And I would hope that the answer to that question is that Meathead just liked him the best. He just thought he was the best head coach, that he that he had all of those characteristics that he looked for, that I looked for, and he just had it the most of everyone. And that he displayed as much or more actual coaching prowess during the eight-game run, as did Greg Williams, but it was in ways that you and I couldn't see because we're not there. And we're not, you know, in the meetings. We're not in, you know, behind the scenes. We're not doing. We're not involved in, in any of that. All we see is the end product, and sometimes that's not enough to be able to give you that full perspective. So, uh, you know, that's it's it's the way it is. Uh, but at the same time, if he goes out there and he gets this team believing in themselves, and he goes out and gets some coordinators that get them, you know, take advantage of the gargantuan amount of blue chip talent that is on this roster. And as we get into, you know, this is this is kind of a fun time because we're in coach, you know, acquisition mode. Probably the next time I talk to you, we'll be talking about the coordinators and who they're going to be and how they're going to do what they're going to do. And that's fun. And then after that, now we get into real full on offseason mode. And that starts with free agency. And, that, and then it goes into the draft, the draft, you know, the mother of all every year. Uh, and then after that, that's that's when you kind of hit the doldrums of the football season, and that's when um, we do some we do some fun stuff, you know. At that point, but uh, this is this these these are fun times. This is a fun day. This is a good day. This is why we're doing the special broadcast of Easy Does It with me, your host Easy Weave on Dogs by Nature. We'll be right back. Yeah, sorry about that. If I am doing the meandering and, and uh, going down different trails, but. Hey, you know, whatever. It's just how I be. But uh, the Browns announcing Freddie Kitchens as the head coach today. Big news, and uh, it's just been uh, really a couple of hours into this to get the reaction. Seems to be, so far, the poll on the website had something in the 96% or something of that, of that uh, in, in that range of people that were, were pleased to very pleased about this decision. I would probably put myself exactly right there, somewhere between pleased and very pleased. Uh, I would have, you know, again, I had my preferences. I had two guys directly ahead of them, but we're not talking about a wide gulf here. We weren't talking about, like, the quarterbacks from this last year. I had Baker number one, and everybody else came after that. But then if you look at between, like, Darnold, Rosen, and Lamar, actually it was exactly the opposite of that. I had Lambjacks, Rosen, and Darnold, but I had them like 2A, 2B, and 2C. 
and then number five was Allen. You get what I'm saying? Like sometimes you have a clear delineation, and sometimes you've got guys kind of all cloistered together in your comparisons. And so I kind of had 1A was Greg, uh, 1B was uh, Arians, and then 1C was uh, Kicho. And then 4 would have been uh, Dave Tube, the uh, special teams coordinator. That's right, I went from letters to numbers. I can do that whenever I'm chronologizing. And then after that, who cares? Other than I was hoping that it would be one of the new names we never heard of before, like that Eberflus dude, or uh, as a, um, the guy for... Uh, not, not, in other, not in other words, not one of the retreads like Mark McCarthy or uh, Josh McDaniels. Oh, that's right, Tommy Bansky. I was hoping that it would be one of those guys, that it would be one of those uh, new guys. But look, uh, you know, Freddie is – he is one of those guys, only he's got the home field advantage. And, what, you know, one of the things that people have brought up here that's kind of singing the tune that I've been for the last couple of years is that there really is a level of continuity that comes along with this move because he's not going to be looking to replace everybody on the offensive side of the ball. He's not going to be coming in here. At least you wouldn't expect him to come in here. He's This is this is what he had to work with last year. He had to work to get the most out of these guys. He's already got the guys on the team that he knows he can score a lot of points with. Now, do we want to go out and get a, a another wide receiver? Yeah, sure, great. Yeah, one, I absolutely do. Do we maybe want to shore up the offensive line? Yeah, I mean, and again, as we get into after today and after going, you know, the next one that's going to be talking about the coordinators and everything, I think that's when really our intense focus on the 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 you know the roster and what we do next that that's really when that discussion is going to be for now today it's really about what this organization is going to be about now with the hierarchy of you know Jimmy Haslam D Haslam the president John or I'm sorry Paul D Podesta in whatever role that he is in kind of sort of at a peer level with general manager John Dorsey who is over? Who is clearly now above? Whether or not anybody, everybody is reporting to each other or not, Dorsey is the guy that has de facto uh, superiority over Freddie Kitchens, his new head coach. This is this is all good. It really is. It's it's all a positive development because it, it's it's more clearly defined than it's been maybe the entire time that Haslam has been the owner of this team. And I got to give him credit. He has, for the most part, seemed to have stayed out of this process and hired a smart guy to kind of handle the things that need to be taken care of for this organization. So you know, I've been very extremely critical of Jimmy Haslam in the past. And I must say that while I don't think that any part of this had to do with any sort of genius on his part, as far as being able to read the tea leaves and be, you know, uh, you know, two, you know, playing 3D chess and whatever, I think that we just got very, very, very fortunate that all of this worked out the way that it did. When you consider the peaks and valleys and everything that had to lead up to us having the number one pick overall in the draft to take Baker Mayfield, and then to be in the spot that we were, where we're now promoting our offense of coordinator who we just promoted from being the running backs coach you know two months ago and this is going to be the guy that we're going to be hitching our wagons to and he's a young guy you know freddie's a young guy you know he could be the coach of this team for god willing he'll be the coach of this team for 30 years and it's exciting it's exciting because i think that he has demonstrated that he's got top tier coaching ability 
even if that means that he's no longer going to be the offensive coordinator. I don't know if I'm making a, a really good, you know, if I'm really uh, sticking the landing here on what I mean. I just, I, 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 you don't have, when, you, when you're the head coach, you're no longer the offensive coordinator. You can't do that same job anymore. And who, he's going to need to have somebody that does that job, or if he is going to do that job, he's going to, I have said that, you get it, you get it, you, you understand what I'm saying. You're doing the whole. Don't you don't need to keep repeating yourself, easy, you idiot. I I, I get it, and you're not un, you're not unkind in your criticism. You know, I should say you're not inaccurate. Maybe you're unkind, but I could take it, especially on a day like today, when I'm just feeling all kinds of good about um, about the future of this franchise because I think that uh, Freddie Kitchens is exactly the right type of demeanor. I think he's exactly uh, while he's not greatly experienced in terms of, uh, or I should say, in comparison to other guys that are available. There's really nothing about his experience that is disqualifying when you compare him to other guys that have come into the league recently, like Matt Nagy and whoever. Uh, there's, and, and again, it doesn't really matter if the guy is able to kind of do those things. It's like I mentioned all the time about the quarterback. All the way up until we got Baker, you know, I would, and talking about scouting quarterbacks, whenever t- people would, you know, talk about. Um, evaluating quarterbacks. Look, there's one standard that I have when it comes to whether or not the quarterback position is solid and and, uh, and the guy is performing at the level that you want. He has to be able to, for the most part, predominantly from the pocket, be able to make smart, quick decisions and sharp, accurate throws. And if he's able to do that, he's going to be a good quarterback. He's going to be a cap- that's, that's what you need to be a good quarterback. Being able to run around and be mobile and be tall enough for cold weather and hit the car bash and all that stuff, it's nice. It's not what really matters the most. What matters the most is the stuff that I just said. Being able to predominantly from the pocket make smart, quick decisions and sharp, accurate throws. You do that, you do, and Baker, I mean, that's, is is there anything that better describes what that kid does? And so we have that guy. We have the guy that can do that. For the head coach, as I say, I take Dorsey's three prerequisites, uh, guy with integrity, high, high character, a teacher of young men, and a guy with a high football acumen. Well, he has that walking in the door. But then he also fits my three requirements, which are, Guy that is all about unity of the team and togetherness and accord and all of that. Guy that can effectively scheme an opponent and a guy that can have resilience if it all goes wrong, be able to come back if uh, if we need to. Because there's going to be games where you know there's going to be games, there'll be playoff games where a team is good because they're in and they're in the playoffs because they're good and they do and they just you know hit our number in the first half and we're down by a bunch of points. Here's what we got to always remember: we got six. We got number six coming out for the second half every game now. For a long time, we're going to have number six come out. And that means we, unless it's, you know, be, the 32 points is the threshold beyond which a team has dis, has uh, showed that they can't come back. So that's, that's what I'm saying. If, as long as it's within 32 points, we can do that. And actually, the 32-point deficit that uh, Buffalo came back from against Houston was—it wasn't a halftime deficit. It was 28 to three at halftime. And then the first drive of the second half, Frank Reich threw an interception to Bubba McDowell, who returned it 50 yards for a touchdown that put Houston on top, 35 to three, with like I don't know three or four minutes off the clock in the second half. And then Reich led the comeback. By the way, congratulations to Frank Reich on his first postseason win. I really, really like that guy, and. 
I don't feel as bad about it now today, but man, I've been, he's one that I've kind of been like, God, we could have got. We, it really would have been nice to get that guy because he, he's a really good coach. And uh, the Colts, they may be a sleeper team this year. I'm not going there, but I just, I, I, they, they are. <clears throat> I will say this: that team, that Colts team, that, that Colts defense, they're going to give Mahomes fits this weekend. But I digress. We're not getting into uh, playoff talk. Uh, other than our own playoffs. And so when we have those teams that, that that happens, we need to be able to have, because we have six coming out in the second half, we need to be able to be resilient. We need to be going to be able, we're going to need to be able, I should say, to come back out, calmly put it together, and give ourselves an opportunity to have number six go down the field at the end of the game and win it. You know, that game on Sunday, uh, two weeks ago, against the uh, the Ravens, you know, we were there. Baker didn't quite get it done, but, you know, he's in a position there at the end of the game with enough time to either kick a field goal, score a touchdown, whatever we have to do. And as far as I'm concerned, if you are putting the team in that position more or better, more often than not, then that's what you need to do to coach the Cleveland Browns and win football games. Because more often than not, Baker Mayfield is going to come through in that in that circumstance. But that's you know that that's all you can do in many cases because everybody in the NFL is good. You're not going to beat everybody, you know, by four touchdowns. And if you do, you may do that one year, but you're not going to do it every year. It's not like it is in college football. But you know, you look at a team like uh, Alabama. This is exactly what I'm talking about. They got down. They were down. You know, for the, the final score of that game was 44 to 16. You know what it was at halftime? It was 31 to 16. It really thirty-one to sixteen. That's fifteen points. Does that sound insurmountable to you? Two touchdowns, and they got the ball first to start the second half. So two touchdowns is. But they came. This is here's the point. They came out in that second half, and they wanted to make up the entire deficit and go up ahead by three touchdowns themselves. And they wanted to do it all on every play. So they were. You talk about pressing. They were pressing like I don't think I've ever seen a team with that much talent. Certainly, I've never seen a Nick Saban coach team do that before. And they just could not get out of their own way. Whereas if they just would have been calm, executed the steps needed to get back in that game, they could have stopped Clemson. uh, You know, at least once or twice. If if it ends up being a a slugfest, well, that's in a slugfest. But they got to the point where they were just so mind effed by what Dabo did that they were just paralyzed. I, I don't think that there's any way that Clemson is 28 points better than Alabama, but I think that what happens is you have a team come out, and it, actually it gets deeper. I think that, you know, the fact that the first the first quarter was an hour long and Bama hadn't played anybody tough all year, basically, as far as uh, other than the, the Georgia game and the uh, uh, SEC championship, and even that really wasn't all that close when you get right down to it. They had you know, basically, you know, wiped the floor with everybody all year. Here comes Clemson, who not only played them tough, but I think maybe wore them down a little bit. Just kind of a crackpot theory I have. about. It's kind of like a couple of years ago where they won and Deshaun Watson threw like 500 passes, and that was how they were able to beat him because they kept, they kept him on the field. They kept running around. But what the reason that Alabama wasn't able to come back is not because they aren't good, they aren't well coached, and it's not because they don't have talent. They're freaking Alabama. The reason that they weren't able to come back is because they just got too in on themselves. They just got too much in their own heads, and they were just rushing everything. You know what they say? You always rush, but you don't hurry. You know, however you want to say it, they were, were they were totally frazzled. It was all mental. And this is the point: if you are down by a bunch of points, 
there's only this is anything in life you know i mean you're you know you're late for work you know the alarm doesn't go off and so you wake up and you've only got a short amount of time before you you know can get to work and you're probably going to end up being late but there's a chance at that point the only thing you can do is execute the steps in front of you you can't go back in time there's no sense in complaining about it either. All you, all you can do is move. All you can do is execute the steps that are in front of you. You're, do, you're down behind far in a game. Nobody cares that you, you know the, about what happened in the first half. Nobody is going to care about your complaining about it. All you can do is go out there and try to execute the steps, play by play, drive by drive. And the teams that have the ability to have calm, cool, collected players that can that can exercise aplomb in that type of circ- scenario, those are the ones that win those are the ones that are able to come back think of that super bowl with tom brady and the patriots a couple of years ago against the falcons they were down by 25 points and the largest comeback in nfl history prior to that game was 10 points that's a pretty major disparity 25 points to 10 points and you think 10 points in all of super bowl history well you know because 10 points obviously that's not a a large deficit but what ends up happening is the enormity of the moment is so overwhelming that once you get down, once you start to, to – it starts to cascade a little bit and you go down by 13, 17, 20, 24. By that point, you're in your – that's when you start pressing. That's when you try to make it up on every play. I'm going to try to score 21 points on this play. Can't do it. All you can do is execute that drive. All you can do is execute that that series. All you can do is try to win in the red zone and win at the line of scrimmage and score points and then hope that your defense can get the ball back. That's all that you can do. But if you are faithful to that and you do it, guess what? You may be in a spot at the end of the game where number six has the ball in his hand and he has the ability to go down the field and maybe win it for you. And that's all you can hope for. And so... How many times this year did we see that, where the offense struggled in the first half and came out and played well in the second half? I think it's exactly my perfect ratio. It happened a couple of times, but it didn't happen nearly as often as did the offense came out and just looked awesome from the start of the whistle all the way through. So much so that in the the first Bengals game, people were complaining that we took our foot off the gas pedal, uh, and we still ended up winning the game by 15. So again, this is all you know philosophy and so on about the way that uh, you know that you run your offensive and defensive football teams. But it is I, I'm I'm just I'm very encouraged by the things that I've seen from Freddie Kitchen as it relates to all of these things that I'm describing, because I think that he is the right type of personality. I think that he certainly got the innovative uh, mind through what we've seen, what he was able to do. You know, as, as an aside, as far as what he did offensively and creatively, there was that play, maybe the most impressive play of the season that he came up with was the, um, the I don't know, what, how would you call that? The um, It's the, the fake end around, uh, reverse back outside um, end around, to the the running the, the wide receiver in motion going the other direction and with Jarvis Landry scored a touchdown with it uh, in a short yardage spot against the Panthers and then later on a fourth and one play they ran it again and this time he you know went on a big long run that set up a the uh, the icer touchdown I think it was the ice touchdown that play was so effective and it had such an impact on the league that the following week both the Saints and the Panthers ran it against each other in a game that they were playing and neither one of them ran it as effectively as we did 
So he's definitely got that sort of innovative, uh, you know, aspect to his to his game, and I, that's where his head as a head coach that's gonna that's where that's gonna be, you know, pretty exciting, you know, because he's he's definitely I think shown that he's got the ability. You remember right after the uh, the Kansas City game, you know, going into the week against the Falcons, he's talking about yeah, I'm I might run the wishbone. You know, y'all are laughing, but I'm being serious. And then he comes out next week and runs the wishbone and runs it effectively. And then we never saw the wishbone again for the rest of the year. I love that. I love that. I think to me that is that is showing that this guy has got some strategy. Uh, I, I certainly don't know how he's going to be. You know, I, I think all those things that I mentioned are what's important to me. Way below all of that, in my mind anyway, is like clock and game management. Yeah, it's important. Not nearly as important as those other things. And if you're good at those other things, chances are you're not going to be defeated by bad, by poor clock management uh, and so on on a regular basis. Certainly, it happens. Now, if you're a bad coach and you have bad clock management skills like Hugh Jackson, then you know it just it just exacerbates the problem even further. Uh, but you know what we're going to see. I, I think that he probably does have a pretty good understanding of that. But you know, all of this is speculation. My thing about him, it's kind of like the quarterback. Uh, conversations that we have every year. I look at traits. I don't look at stats. I look at tape. I see what the guys did. And I don't look at, you know, the 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 40 time and and especially not for a quarterback. I don't look at the physical attributes. I look at what attributes he has that translate to successful NFL quarterbacking. The things that you have to be able to do, the navigating of the pocket and the reading of defenses and the ability to set protections from, you know, at the, on the line and all that stuff that a lot of guys in college just, you know, aren't really all that uh, attuned to, certainly at the pro level, and almost nobody at the level of where Baker was last year and showed as the best rookie quarterback by several country miles this year. And, you know, Andrew Luck before him was the same way. And before that, I can't even, I don't even know, maybe Elway. But, I don't, you know, I don't I know, he's, he's over, overrated. That's, I always, always got to throw in there the disclaimer that Elway is a overrated by, by a pile of bucked horse teeth. By the way, out there on the in the West, what is up with Cliff, with, uh, Cliff Kingsbury? How wild is that? And we play those guys next year. We play the Cardinals next year. For those of you that don't know, Cliff Kingsbury, first of all, he is like he is Professor Air Raid. Like he is the guy. He's the Air Raid guy. And he's uh he was the head coach of Texas Tech. He's the guy that wouldn't give Baker a scholarship. And he was fired from Texas Tech, his alma mater, earlier this uh, offseason. He was then picked up to be USC's offensive coordinator. Hadn't even done anything with them yet when he becomes the head coach of now the Arizona Cardinals. Just a wild, um, really, that's just just an amazing thing. And we play those guys next year, and I'm really looking forward to it because, as others have pointed out, Baker's probably going to put up about 500 yards uh, because you know how he is against going up against uh, former coaches of his. And this guy, <laughs> this guy, there's bad blood. You know, there's there's history there. So I'm really looking forward to it, whatever point. And that, that's a game I'm going to circle right away when we play the cards in, uh, in 2019. And I think it's time to circle the entire 2019 schedule because, guys, we, we, got, we got a really good thing brewing here. 
I really do believe Freddie Kitchens is going to be a good coach. I don't, you know, I'm not going to get too too crazy with it. I don't know if he's going to be outstanding or transcendent or anything like that. Maybe he will be, but I think that he's shown enough from from uh, the limited amount that we've been able to see. He's given us enough to conclude that he can handle this that he's got the ability to you know have the harmony uh, teach young men have integrity all that all the stuff that we've talked about before um, and it bodes well for the fact that there isn't going to be a massive roster of uphe- upheaval and going into next year for the first time and I can't remember we're going into an offseason with 85 million dollars in draft space and basically no real needs now people can argue with that point and again we're going to have shows coming up there's certainly some positions I would like to improve upon but I'm looking at that roster like what what is the position on that we drastically need to improve Want a linebacker? Okay, I'd like to have. I get a linebacker. Are we? Is Jamie Collins, Christian Kirksey, and Joe Schobert absolutely unwinnable? No, you could win with those guys. You could definitely win with those guys. Would I like to get a uh, a better uh, defensive lineman uh, interior than Trevon Coley? Uh, sure, yeah, I'd like to do that. Can we absolutely not win with Trevon Coley? No, that's not true. We could. We, Trevon Coley is a perfectly serviceable starter if that's what it came down to. And you can really pick any position group on the team. Yeah like you know more adept at safety and so on but this is a far cry from where we've been in a long time we've got a very exciting uh young coaching mind who is coaching and already has an established incredible rapport with our hot shot young quarterback coming off possibly the greatest rookie passing season ever there's there's nothing but unbridled enthusiasm and excitement uh, surrounding this uh, team right now, and I'm um, I'm 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 all over it. I, I love it. I'm I'm excited about it. I'm really looking forward to see who the defensive coordinator is going to be, who the offensive coordinator is going to be, and as long as neither one of those guys are Hugh Jackson or uh, Ray Horton, then I'm good with it. And I think with that, I'll probably wrap up this special, you know, emergency. We hired a head coach edition of. Uh, easy does it with me, easy weave here on Dogs by Nature. I've done this from time to time. You know, we hire somebody, we fire somebody, we do you know special things when stuff breaks. You know, <laughs> I know a guy down here that uh, uses the phrase "when news breaks, we fix it," and that's that's what's um, that's what's that's what, that's what we're attempting to do here, and you know, offer some because you know it's it's a big day, and there's a lot of a uh, lot of takes to be had on this. And I'm, uh, I'm I'm definitely one that I uh, I, I didn't know what we were going to do. I had a pretty good feeling the last couple of days, uh, but I'm very very gratified to see the way that it worked out. And I'm super duper looking forward to hearing the press conferences of uh, everybody involved. Like I really can't wait to hear Freddie and Dorsey and uh, uh, Jimmy Haslam all on the stage together. Hopefully we'll get that today. But until next time, my name is Easy Weave. This is Easy Does It on Dogs by Nature. Have a wonderful day, everyone. Good luck. God bless. Until next time. So. My name is Spencer Hall. My name is Jason Kirk. My name is Ryan Nanny. And when we combine, we form the, the Shutdown, Shutdown Fullcast. Fultron! I keep telling you, we're not Fultron. The Shutdown Fullcast is technically a college football podcast, but it's also a show about lawn care disasters, regional grocery stores we love, Tennessee Batman, homeowners associations, 
bears in video games. I mean, there's also some actual football discussion, like about coaches having huge contracts or coaches making terrible decisions or coaches saying really stupid things. Or the NCAA saying really stupid things. Yeah, there's lots of stupid things in this big, dumb, beautiful sport. Sometimes we talk about football games. Allegedly. If you want to take college football exactly as seriously as it deserves to be taken, come find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you listen to podcasts like this one. The Shutdown Fullcast. It's not Voltron.